You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. And uh, <clears throat> kind of different having a little drizzle rain this morning. We, we haven't seen that for a while. That's called rain. It's called rain. I know it's been a little dry. I wasn't scheduled to, uh, to speak today. And uh, talking at my weekly meeting with Pastor Peter, he, he felt with a lot going on and where people are at right now emotionally, mentally, with a lot of number of things that have hit our world that, that uh, we should have a little spiritual dad talk with the church. For those of you who don't know me, my name's uh, Bob, Bob McGregor, and I, I am the founding pastor of this church. I'm still on paper the head of the church. I remind Pete of that once in a while. But, uh, but uh, Pastor Pete and our transitions, taking over the church, doing a great job. And uh, I'm looking forward to the way I can serve the church in the future in a new capacity. But, but uh, I'm still a founding pastor and a spiritual father of the house. And he felt like the, the church today needed just a spiritual father talk. So I felt honored that he asked me to do that. And he, he instructed me, I don't want you to preach I want you to talk, and like talk like you talk to your daughters. Well, that's a whole dangerous conversation when I talk to my daughters, and uh, uh, they don't just sit with a fire chat around my feet and just think that angel dust has fallen on them because their father has such great wisdom. But we do have good talks and straightforward. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things that um, I think we all can, can, can agree on is that Christians we have found out, don't agree on a lot of situations. Have you, have you, have you kind of figured that out in the last uh, 18 months that not, we don't see eye to eye on every issue? And uh, I think that surprised us. We used to have like the big ones we went after, and we all agreed on those, but now we have a lot of little ones, and we're, we're landing in different places, and we don't, I think the church is learning to try how to handle that how to handle those types of issues. And we are facing a lot in the news, in the nation, in the world. And I think the one thing that we can agree on is that people are discouraged right now, psychologically. That's why I'm kind of having this talk with you. People, especially in light of what took place here since last Sunday with, uh, with the fall of Afghanistan, people are feeling betrayed. Uh, people are feeling fatigued. And people are feeling extremely fearful about their future, the future of the church, the future of the United States of America, the future of the world, you know, has the world gone mad? Well, the world has gone mad for, a, I just want to say this, for a very, very long time. So I want to talk to you today, talk, that's the term that Pastor Pete gave me, not preach, but talk, and try not to be too editorial on this. I don't want to stir up anybody who disagrees with me on something in a way that you're writing me, you know, an angry email. I don't want to stir that up, nor, you know, create a debate between the two of us. You're at an unfair advantage because I got the mic and you don't. Uh, it would be, in talking about some of the things that we're facing, impossible without some analysis taking place. And I'm going to try not to overdo that. But I think fourth areas right now are affecting Americans, and especially in the West here. One is this, is what took place in Afghanistan. It'll be the first thing that I take on. Today, the second thing is this: is the natural disasters. We Haiti went another earthquake, and then it got hit with a, another summer storm. And I mean, we a number of people, thousands of people, got killed, but also over a million people got displaced. And just the tragedies that take place and fires. I mean, we're just constantly dealing with fires. 
Tomorrow night, um, Neil and I, my son-in-law, we're going to be backpacking up into Goat Rocks and go up to Goat Lake. And so when you're in your cozy bed tomorrow night at about 9 o'clock, once you know I'm going to be in like 45-degree weather up in a mountain lake freezing my tootsie off, okay, looking at goats coming down to a lake. But, uh, but uh, we're going to be going up there. We can't, I don't know if we're going to be able to do a fire and, uh, you know, have to try to create a, some artificial thing we got. I'm going to try and experiment with some propane stuff here today. But uh, we can't have fire. And, of course, last summer, horrible fires, as we, we well know. And I, I'll never forget, Annalise, my daughter, posted on Instagram this lady with her hand like this looking down the sidewalk and the caption underneath says, what chapter of the book of Revelation are we in today? And, uh, you know, so we have a lot of those types of things. And of course, the pandemic, our favorite subject and uh, all that's, you know, our, our solutions from our leaders seem to be a moving target. And uh, it seems like we always need to do more and, and, and contradictory statements when it comes to answers and what's going on. And now we see numbers spiking, and then the people have a question, or do I get a vaccine, or do I not get a vaccine? And, you know, people debate the effectiveness of masks, and there's state rights versus federal government, and, you know, what is constitutional, and what can be mandated, and how does this affect schools and employees, and all these subjects are just coming up. Are you an expert on these things? <laughs> I am not. And that's, I just want to come out of the gate right there. Okay, I am not. Nor am I going to present myself as being a total expert that you shouldn't disagree with me. Um, um, but I do have opinions and perspectives and a spiritual data. I'm trying to think of how the church gets through it. That's my main, that's my main concern. And then, of course, we're in a time of great judgment. I'm not talking about the judgment of God, although there is the judgment of God going on. I'm talking about judging each other. Now, I am, you know, I'm 36. <laughs> plus 30. But, uh, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian for 45 years, and uh, I have never seen so much division among Christians, so much attacking Christians against each other, so many breakdowns of relationships over non-biblical issues, but personal persuasion issues. It's, uh, it's really taken me back. It has really taken me back on, on how the, what the church has gone through, and it's been a stressful time. Uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ, and uh, meeting with pastors this last week in Clark County, when some pastors have closed their churches and quit the ministry, people walked out. It's it's been tough. People are fatigued and and beat up, and there's just been a lot going on, and a sad time. But I want to address that how we can be better in that situation. We we tend to, you know, if you got a vaccine, you you destroyed the Constitution, you violated the Scripture. If you didn't get a vaccine. You are, you are a selfish person, you know. And, uh, you know, we got all these kind of rocks going back and forth at people. And, you know, you're wearing a mask. You don't have any faith. If you, if you don't wear a mask, you, you, you just don't care about people. And, and uh, we, we kind of go through that, you know, scenario of a lot of judgment. Let me kind of just, let's just talk about the freshest thing on the news here. I feel like that Tom Hanks movie, you know, the, the World Report or, or the World News. He goes to these little western towns after the Civil War. And he reads the newspaper to everybody. But, uh, you know, there were the pulpits of America back in the 1600s. 1700s. You got your news from the pulpit. That's where the, the 6 o'clock news was the pastor. You know, that's, it wasn't just sermons. It was they addressed the issues of the day. So we've all seen what took place in Afghanistan it was this week. We all have images in our mind 
I don't think I'll ever forget the, the image of that airplane with people hanging on to the wings. And I mean, I don't think, that, I don't think, I think that's embedded in our mind till we go to heaven. Uh, people feel betrayed that the sol- our soldiers who gave their life, soldiers who are maimed, that they we were betrayed by the answer that took place. Uh, some people feel very strongly that we betrayed the Afghan people. We left them destitute. And it is interesting, both liberal and conservatives rising up that, have we done that? And at least that question is being asked. And I find that at least a refreshing type of reaction. And then, of course, on a spiritual level, people are feeling like, did we waste all our money and time and efforts and stuff by all the spiritual things we've done in Afghanistan, specifically this church, if you're new to us. This, this church in Hazeldale, Washington, has probably been more involved in Afghanistan in the last 20 years spiritually than any church in the United States of America. We have been on soil. I've, I've been in Afghanistan ministering. Uh, we've had teams there. We have poured thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars into that. You know, and has that, has that all just gone down the toilet? Is it just destroyed? Is, so just a waste because the enemy just came in and wiped it all away. Well, I'd like to just kind of give you some hope and some perspective on this and maybe give something to, to at least to be considered in thinking. There's a lot of theories of what took place. One is this, is that, and which is true, the last three presidents, and I'm dealing with, I'm talking about Barack Obama, Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, didn't see staying in Afghanistan as being a worthwhile cause. This is just wasn't an overnight scenario. This has been eroding for a while. Okay, so the war on terror and trying to make sure Al-Qaeda and, and uh, ISIS and all these places can't get in there, that, that, that cry began to diminish here, you know, starting with Obama's uh, uh, office and Obama's presidency. Uh, the, other, the other thing we, we need to think, a lot of people say, well, democracy doesn't work in Afghanistan. Well, there's some truth to that in that we tried to treat it as if there were a bunch of states with the federal government. There were a bunch of tribes with tribal leaders. And so we didn't respect, we didn't build a government around tribes. We build a government around the way we do things. And what happens, you got these strong tribal leaders who are not in the central government and a weak central government. It, it, it polarizes. However, saying all that is that they did have six elections that were successful and they got to the, they, they did something they never did before. And that was a positive sign. Some people were accused that Afghans wouldn't fight. And I would refer you to a editorial posted Monday in the Washington Post by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, where she took that on. And she made this statement that there were tens of thousands of Afghans that died next to our troops. So she defended the Afghan soldiers and their courage, the sacrifices that they've made for their own freedom. Um, we, have, uh, we have people who feel like maybe we failed in our mission as a nation going in there in the first place. Well, we got to go back. Sometimes we, we, we miss the sting of 9-11. And those of us who were around and were adults and dealt with that whole thing, we remember. I mean, I, first thing I wanted to do as an American, I mean, I had this impulse in me, give me a tank, I'll go over there. I was ticked off, okay, just like a lot of Americans. It was, and uh, we, that was the mood. That was the mood. It was, they killed 3,000 of our citizens. We got we took Al-Qaeda out. We drove them out. We, did, we created a haven where they can't come back in. Yes, the door may have been opened again. Yes, I understand that. 
But we did do that. We did take out Osama bin Laden. That did happen. Okay, so there was success. Maybe it's a, not, it's not a total F, it's not a total failure, but that did take place. One of the most beautiful things is, is that women received a status of dignity and, and their human rights were starting to be protected. They were coming up in a status in society. And of course, our great fear now and our great prayer against is the oppression of women in a country that was famous for the destruction of women. And spiritually, you know, we're thinking, well, was it all waste, all the stuff that this church has done and others? You know, Alessandro tells us that before 9-11, you just had a handful of Christians. And he was there under the Taliban rule in Afghanistan before 9-11. A few believers, church was a few believers meeting each other in the market and trading fruit and quoting scriptures to each other. That was a church meeting. He, he estimates there's five to 12,000 believers now in Afghanistan. And uh, we have hundreds among that, we have hundreds in our network that we're supporting and we're involved in that he has direct influence over. And so there are some things taking place that are good. There's some positive perspective things. I just want to, in the midst of this horrible suffering, at least get our faith perspective in gear. The, you know, prior to 9-11, the world didn't know where Afghanistan was on the map or what was Afghanistan. What's Afghanistan? When I tell people I've gone to Tajikistan, well, what is Ta-what? Well, we have, we have global workers in Kyrgyzstan. Stan, well, I get so confused about those Stan countries. But now people know who Afghanistan is. And the world is taking notice of Afghanistan with compassion. We always think, and I didn't say this first, we always think, well, America's got to do it. You know, I've been in Cambodia ministering Cambodia's had a great revival, but, but you remember the killing fields? The Khmer Rouge, they made everybody farmers. They emptied Phnom Penh in one day, took a million and a half people, put them on farms as slaves. You know who liberated Cambodia? The North Vietnamese. The North Vietnamese says, we've had it. Even when the North Vietnamese say, we've had it, it's really bad. And they came in there, and they took the Khmer Rouge out, stalemated them, reopened the city of Phnom Penh. And I've talked with church leaders who were teenagers that came back and had nothing. Everyone was squatting in a city that had been emptied. But it wasn't America that did that. Who knows what kind of intervention by somebody else who stirred might take place in Afghanistan. I'm encouraged that um, the Afghan people are resisting. There are marches in the street, women marching, holding the national flag. The Taliban tried to take a city 100 miles north of Kabul, and next thing they know, 30 of them got killed, and 20 got taken prisoner. They're trying to do door-to-door, and then all of a sudden, the whole town rose up. We've had it. You're not coming here. Raise the national flag, and they were part of the Northern Alliance before, and they said, we've been storing up weapons for 20 years for this, for this time. We're ready. In other words, they just basically say, Taliban, bring it on. So there's going to be some civil war that takes place. I don't like violence and death and all those things. But, you know, there's a time to fight. And there's a fight in the people. Don't let the bad intelligence, the bad plan of this evacuation deceive us that there's not a fight in some people to resist this. You're going to see it. Mark my words that I said it on this day. And then, of course, 
you know, we, 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 we see signs and wonders in Afghanistan. There's miracles that take place in this nation. Miracles. Alessandro tells a story of a man out in the desert trying to get to Kabul because one of the great church leaders is there, an Afghan church leader he wants to see to talk to him about Jesus. About 50 miles outside of Kabul, his little motorcycle runs out of gas. He's in the middle of nowhere. No money, no fuel, no nothing. You know what he does? True story. He says, Jesus, if you're real, that this man preaches, get me to Kabul. Gets on his motorcycle, starts it up, and he drives an empty tank motorcycle 50 miles to go get saved. Now, I'm going to guarantee you something right now. That in the middle of Afghanistan, God is doing miracles in the midst of evil. I want to I put that in you because it happens all the time there. It's interesting when the team got there, eventually after 9-11, people wouldn't come near the compound with Alessandro and his team were because they kept seeing, that's a very mystic people, they kept seeing in visions all these demons outside the compound that wouldn't go in. Come on, God is still working in the midst of, of evil. You know, as, I, as I've been praying for Afghanistan, and, uh, and, I, and I've, I've been, I pray for a lot for Afghanistan, I, I, I get three words that drop into my spirit. I was here Thursday praying, and three words just dropped in. The first is omnipotent. There's a well, that's a fancy word. The Holy Spirit talks like that. Yeah, sometimes he does, especially to a theologian. He'll use fancy multi-syllable words. But if you got your Bibles, your U versions, your smartphones, turn to Psalm 115 and verse 3. And uh, notice what the psalmist says. He says in verse 2, why should the nations say, where is their God? And that's kind of that's like the, you hear the mocking voice of the enemy a little bit? Where's their God? Well, verse 3 answers where our God is. Verse 3 says this. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He's in control. He's going to work everything according to his will. Satan is like a dog on a choke chain with a leash. He can only go as far as the Lord will allow him. Yes, God allows evil. Don't have time to break that all down for you. But he's still in control, and he still has a plan, and he's still moving forward. Also, he's omniscient. That means he sees everything. He has full knowledge. El Roy, where Hagar says, he's the Lord who sees me when she was destitute with her and, and starving to death and dying of thirst with Ishmael out in the desert, and God showed her a, an oasis. He is the God who sees me. You know, God sees. He sees these people who are suffering. Now, I say in the midst of that, that there's probably going to be some bad news. We got three U.S. workers out this last week. We have three Afghan families that have been workers with Alessandro who got State Department clearance. My last, my last communication, 11.15 yesterday morning, they were on their way to the airport. Now, you know what that means from watching the news. So you need to keep them in prayer. There was a church in the South that just announced to their staff that their missionaries, I don't know if they were U.S. or Afghan, they were, they were killed. There's going to come some casualties. I'm not going to whitewash this and 
create a nice little thing. There's going to be casualties. There's also going to be mass deliverances. You're going to get both. And we got to keep our perspective that he will be victorious. Read Acts 12. One apostle got the sword. One apostle got the angel. Did God love one apostle more than the other? No. Seems to be inconsistent. You can take that up with Jesus when you see him. But it is the Bible. It is the Bible. Third word is omnipresent. Jesus is there with our brothers and sisters. Now, I told the kids at youth camp here on Wednesday night when I, when I preached to them, and I'll tell it to you, and Phil and, Sher- Phil and Sher- uh, Shanda Harris in our church were in Istanbul, Turkey in 2005. We were working with the underground church of Iran. These guys came over from, to Turkey from Iran, and we trained them in the basement of this hotel. It happened to be right next door to the British embassy. While they were downstairs at 12 noon, it's interesting, at 12 noon, praying and seeking God with these believers, a car bomb came into the British embassy and blew it to pieces, killed the ambassador, killed another number of Brits. The bomb blew horizontally through the hotel where Phil and Chandra stand, demolished the hotel, but everyone was in the basement Door blew off, and everyone was saved. Now, it's interesting. The Bible says that he who hides in the secret place of the Most High abides in the, that nothing will touch them, and even the destruction at noonday will not destruction. And it was at noon the bomb hit. They were down in the basement, and everyone came out alive. You're going to listen to stories. You'll hear stories. You mark my words. You call me on it in two or three years that there'll be stories of divine intervention from this period was taking place. Yeah, it would be the last place I'd want to be right now. Adrenaline high, life and death could be any place. I've been there. It's a, it's a tough place. But, but God is still faithful, amen? Amen. God's going to get the victory, guys. There's going to be tests. There might be some martyrdom. There's going to be evil. That is already happening. But listen to this. Jesus said this, John 16, In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. Now, it doesn't fit our form of Christianity. Our form of Christianity is your best life now. You just got promises. You... Speak those promises, you claim those promises, and all promises come to pass. I wish I could tell you that all promises come to pass. I think everything in God's plan will come to pass. I think the outcome will come to pass in God's favor. But everything doesn't just work my way, it works your way. How many people have noticed that? Okay. That doesn't mean God's not true and faithful to bring about his ultimate purpose in my life and your life. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. We're not used to people getting killed. We're not used to people going to jail for their faith. We're not used to people being persecuted and beaten. We're not used to tragedies happening around us. We live in the United States of America. Remember, we are the poorest of you are the richest in the world. So this is something new. You get involved in the globe, we get to get the whole package of what life is really like, which gets me into the second thing, crazy weather. Crazy weather. And I'm not an expert on why the earth is getting warmer, but according to the NOAA, that's a fancy acronym, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, that's what that is. 
Set in 1980 by President uh, uh, Richard Nixon. Not 1980, it was before that. It was actually before 1980, established by Richard Nixon. Okay, they've been tracking even, I don't know where they get records, all the way back to 1880. And they say about every year since 1880, about a tenth of a percent of, of I mean, the, the Earth's surface warms up about a tenth of a percent every year. And uh, now it's doubled that in the, since, 19, um, uh, since 1981. It's, it's, it's actually almost tripled that. So it's getting warmer faster. But, you know, it's still not like every year, two degrees, it gets warmer. But it's moving that way. The question is, that's, that's, that's a fact. The question is, why? In one school of thought, it's, it's you. You're the problem. Say to the person, that you're the problem. Okay. Quit driving your car. In fact, I want everybody walking home today, <laughs> leaving your car in the parking lot, save the planet. But it is. And it is hitting the poor. And it is contributing to droughts and floods and earthquakes. Now, I believe stewardship, whether it's good stewardship or the lack of it, has consequences. It can have consequences. It can be good consequences or bad consequences. You eat a bunch of donuts, that's your diet every day, you're going to have some bad consequences. God can't help you to get back in shape. There are bad things that can take place because of choices that we make. And, you know, we, we, need, to, we need to make sure that we're good stewards of the earth. I, I went to Africa four years ago, and I got really touched by the whole plastic situation, just seeing piles of it a mile high. And, you know, that releases toxicity in the air and toxins into the soil. And so, man, I... Uh, I, I didn't think it was good. So I came back with a conviction that we're not going to use plastic for trash. We're going to use paper bags. Now, my problem with uh, my millennial kids and my grandkids and my wife is getting them to throw the trash in the little grocery sack I got set out. There's a little hole like that and to drop the trash in the hole. They don't do that. They, they, they bury stuff in the trash can that folds the sack and then the trash piles up on top of the sack. Guess who gets to handpick that trash and put it back in, me. But I've stuck to my guns for three years because I'm concerned. So I believe in stewardship. But the world has been affected by the fall. And that's one thing we don't realize. In Romans 8, it's very clear that the creation's waiting for you and I to be manifested as Jesus comes back for his church. And when he does, a new heaven and a new earth will come to pass. The creation's groaning, it says. That means it's having hiccups, earthquakes, hurricanes, Bloods, those things are taking place. The other thing is that governments, governments do not <clears throat> take preventative measures of what's going to be also a known reality. A hurricane's going to come. We've got to build a stronger dike. An earthquake's going to come. We need to have standards to make sure that the buildings doesn't fall. When I was in Haiti in 2010, I thought the whole week, man, what would happen if this place had an earthquake? I was burned. I went to bed at night thinking about it. Sure enough, I flew out. When I flew out, an earthquake hit the island. 250,000 people died. Well, where was God? Well, where was the leaders knowing that the earth does do shifting and they needed to make sure they had codes to protect their own people? That's a bigger question I think needs to be asked. You know, we have to adjust our minds without being pessimistic about our world. We think, oh, this is just a wonderful, wonderful world. You know, it's like the Louis Armstrong song. 
Remember Louis Armstrong? I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Baghdad. Baghdad. It's, 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 it is because God created it and he gives us richly all things to enjoy, but there's something wrong with the world. It's not a wonderful world. You could dress up a pig, put lipstick on it and dress and everything else. Still a pig. World's full of violence, man's sinful nature, abuse, neglect, corruption, evil, murder. One of the stories I heard yesterday took place in Afghanistan. They pulled a Christian leader out, cut off all his arms in front of his family, and killed him and killed the family. It's an evil world. I, mean, I like Louis Armstrong a whole lot, but it's just not that wonderful of a world. When we, when we face world the way it is and trust God, he's good in the midst of that, this is, where we, this is where we get through things and we start seeing victory in our own lives. Then we have our wonderful subject, the pandemic. Now, just my observation is that COVID is real and it does kill people. I had dinner last night with a good friend of mine who's the regional director of Foursquare in the Northwest, who's over tons of churches. And uh, they had a pastor, 50-year-old pastor in Shelton, Washington, die, I think it was just yesterday, the day before, of COVID. Lost my very, very good friend, Danny Benia, to COVID here back fall of 2020. One of the great prophets in the body of Christ. A great prophet to the, to the whole continent of South America. It was a great loss to the church. So COVID is real. The problem is also in this scenario is that our leaders in the midst of this continue to change what they say, and that has not helped in my, my opinion. We're given timetables that don't happen. The first timetable was like a two- or three-week timetable. Remember that one? Remember those days? You always seem to need to do more, and the target always seems to be moving. It just doesn't seem to be closure. Gallup poll late June, right this summer, just about six weeks ago, uh, said this, that 89% of Americans felt the pandemic was getting better. That was the end of June. The end of July, only 40% of Americans felt things were getting better. That's a drop of 49%. That means people are feeling hopeless, people are feeling discouraged, and people are fatigued and they're tired. In, in the pandemic, people have taken extreme positions like, yeah, it's like a cold, it's a virus, no problem, to people who haven't seen another human being for a year and a half, tormented by fear. And I've watched the damage on both sides. And so we have that issue going on. We got mass and quarantines and um, spacing and you know, what is that effective and is it not? My general observation is this. It works. In fact, it doesn't just kill Stop COVID, it stops colds and flu. I, uh, for the year of masking, I had the driest nostrils I've ever had in my entire life as an adult. I had Prestolog boogers. I mean, it was so dry. I mean, I, mean, I had no cold, no nothing, no nothing. 
Okay, why? Because I wasn't around anybody. Okay, then we get around each other, and what happens? The, the numbers kind of spike up again and go up. And so we see a release of standards, then we're going back to stuff. And release, and we're going back, and release, and we're going back. And, uh, you know, the problem is that we, well, we need to protect everybody, but we have in the protection, and this is where I'm trying as a pastor, the elders are trying as pastors, to find the balance is we have psychological and spiritual damage. I will say this, as much as I respect that COVID is real, it has really, really damaged the church. You may notice, like, you know, it doesn't seem like we have many people at City Harvest Church. Well, you can go to the first church of whatever here, and there ain't many people in that church either. And there's not a lot of people in any churches. People will stop going to church, stop getting the conviction of gathering with the saints. It's, it's affected the church. It's heavy. It's damaged things. You're the remnant of the rebuilders. This is where we're at. That's why you know, we're not uptight about what's happened because join the fraternity. Pastors call me up crying, but what do I do? I said, join the fraternity. Suck it up. We got to rebuild this thing. Okay, and get moving forward. But it has damaged things. It's gotten people weird, afraid of each other, not wanting to be around Christians, not wanting to lose their conviction about gathering in the church and bad habits. And it has had its issues. You know, then we have the issue of vaccines. There you go. There you go. You know, people have had a hard time with vaccines for a really long time. It wasn't just COVID. I remember when they started talking about vaccines way back in the early fall of 2020, and I know how people feel about vaccines. I talk to them all the time. I'm thinking, oh, boy, how, I'm thinking, how is this going to work? <laughs> how are you going to get people to cooperate with this? Because I know how people feel about vaccines. So it's no surprise that we're in all these discussions right now. And, and uh, you know, myself, I'm vaccinated all the time because I travel internationally. I go to dangerous places, disease places. I actually have a personal, had a personal nurse, was a disease expert, come to my office, looked where I was going, you need these shots, and she would just shoot me up in my office all the time. Nurse Jackie, she would say, hallelujah, shoot me up all the time. So, you know, vaccines aren't an issue with me. Okay, I was talking to a whole group of elders from Kampala, Uganda, here two weeks ago. And uh, the meeting started like this, Pastor Buff, you know, Richard Sukungu, Pastor Buff, why, why are the people in the United States about, so upset about vaccines? And he goes, and they all, all the elders smiled at once with their pearly white teeth. They all smiled, we, in Uganda, we love vaccines. Send them here. They live in that. So I know we have different perspectives on this. Okay, I, I, under, I understand. So I was trying to explain to American culture and uh, how we think pretty independently and all those types of things. What is factual right now? Like, is this just, this is the numbers. Like in Oregon, 89% of all people in intensive care and all people hospitalized have not been vaccinated. 95% nationally of all people who are in the hospital have not been vaccinated. That's just a, that's just a number. What is true is that our health officials here in Clark County have a field tent that they just erected at Southwest Hospital ready for a surge because if everything's continuing on and we have a surge going on around us, they believe they're going to have a lot of cases. So those are just facts. That's all I'm stating. I know we have an issue with masks and school vaccines for children's become a great debate. And then, of course, we have the great debate, can vaccines be mandated? You see that Amy 
Coney Barrett, our new Supreme Court justice, if you just to know the Supreme Court, there are each just each justice, Supreme Court justice, over a, a, a circuit of lower courts that would answer ultimately to that just that justice. It wouldn't go to the Supreme Court. They would make the final decision on matters, on many matters. Indiana University required mandated uh, uh, vaccines, went to the lower court, lower court shot it down. It went to aim, it goes appealed to, to Judge Barrett. She supported Indiana University. She's a conservative, Spearfield Christian, okay? Brilliant young judge, okay? So here are conservatives who have different opinions on whether this can be mandated or not. It's not a clear black and white biblical issue. I know people feel strongly, even probably sitting right here on both sides of this thing, but it just shows you kind of where the culture's at at this time. Now, here's my personal pastoral thoughts. One, I believe I'm unqualified to answer these questions. I read. You know, I, I refuse to be an expert. I'm a, I'm a hobby historian. I'm a church historian. I study theology. I'm a pastor who loves people, tries to teach the Bible as best I can. There's my qualification for that sphere. I am not a medical expert. And so I feel unqualified to answer some of those things. I, I think a lot about the Constitution, but I'm still not a constitutional lawyer. Okay, so there's limits on me. I'm not qualified. But here's the other thing. When someone comes up to me, which people have for about two years, I'm probably not going to look at you as being qualified. Now, you may have a strong feeling why you believe what you believe, and I respect that. But I'm still not looking at you as the expert. Now people, read this book and read this and do this. No, I'm probably not because I'm researching all this stuff and I, I, I got to come to my own conclusion, right or wrong. And so do you. I tend to go with the majority of the scholarly experts in a particular field. I tend to bend towards the, that, that group of people. I do think this, though. I do think there's been political and scientific arrogance in this area of COVID. And I've been deeply disturbed that uh, we have a moving target all the time. And I blame that bad leadership. You shouldn't quote something you can't guarantee. You just say, we don't know. We're in for a long haul would be probably the most honest thing to get people prepared. But what my greater grief is, no one has called us to prayer. No one's called for a national day of repentance and prayer. No one has rallied the church that we're in an emergency. The only thing that's going to stop this is prayer. I think we need to pray. You know, when Governor Cuomo says, it's not God, science, masking, quarantining, not God. Kept saying, not God, not God. You know, after he said that, New York's numbers went flying through the ceiling. It is God's the answer. Prayer is, I may not know what COVID is, what it does, what's the answer, but I do know that God is the answer. I do know that. I am psychologically preparing myself that this is going to be for the long haul. In other words, we'll have it go into lesser states and who knows, you know, status and effectiveness and might have a slow death but maybe it might take my lifetime. So I'm not looking at, hey, by this date, this is going to end. I'm just getting ready to suck it up, that this is the world that I'm going to finish 
my race of faith in. I'm going to do it with joy, faith, love, but, you know, it's just not waking up in the morning. Isn't it, isn't it you know, great to be alive, you know, with, and, and planet Earth, this wonderful blue sky place? I see room. You know, I'm, prep, I'm, I'm prepared as a leader, and so are the elders, to cooperate for the long haul with our government without this, without, but without this, with, but not without, I should say, is without psychologically or spiritually damaging people. Now, we got a mandate starting tomorrow. As you know, Governor Inslee said that if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, everybody wears masks inside. That's a new mandate. It's, it's, you'll walk in, no growth. You can't go into Fred Myers anymore. If you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. That's, that's going to probably go away tomorrow. So what are you going to do as a church? Well, this is, I'm going to give you six words what will be our policy. Get ready here. Six words. We encourage mass, but won't police. We will encourage mass, but won't police. Keep wise, and I would kind of drop for a while holy hugs. We do have a lot of people who are not here today because they're quarantining or they do have COVID right now in our church. So it is alive in our midst. That just, once again, just the facts. We've had some people in some serious hospitalization situations. Okay, so it is an issue that we're facing as a church. Please be aware if you're exposed, get tested if you were exposed. Quarantine if you need to. And then recognize that there is a spreading going on here. But here, again, once again, we encourage mass but won't police. Well, Bob, what does that look like? That looks like you're going to we'll encourage mass. There'll probably be a lot of people wearing masks, but there's going to be people that don't. And those people that don't, we do not want you to feel that you are a second-rate citizen and you're being judged by us. We don't feel that. All we use the word is encourage. You might see a leader without a mask on. You might see a leader with a mask on. We're going to try and live in harmony down a radical middle and keep this church together because we're just getting it moving forward and making sure you're spiritually and psychologically healthy while trying to keep you safe physically also. And we are in a time of judgment. I've lost more friends. More people walked down on my life over issues that are not Bible. Personal, but I've lost them. Judged. I've had to pray with Sue. I said, it's okay, we can forgive those people. In a way, I've never seen it before. We need to stop that. I encourage you to, I would encourage you. I'm just going to give you my personal opinion. I would encourage you to get vaccinated, but I know that you disagree with me, so that's fine. I actually uh, read a, a great article. It was dated Newsweek Magazine, August 10th. It was an editorial by a lady by the name of Surrey Kinsbrunner. She, is a, she was a director, a preschool director, school teacher, had a neuroscience background. And the title of the editorial that Newsweek allowed her to post was this, is why the unvaccinated are not selfish. It was a beautiful article. She presented that case and representing those people well, and I deeply appreciated what I read. Now, I may not agree eye to eye, but I appreciated the spirit and the fact that there was a thought-through process that landed her in that particular position, not paranoia. She had some good things that need to be answered, I thought, in, the, in her article. 
I may wear a mask and you may not, but let's, uh, let's make it our covenant commitment that our disagreement will not be cause of us to break fellowship or to judge each other or to post something against each other in social media. Let's support each other. I mean, we need to be together on this. And, you know, church, don't, don't make people miserable at the stores. If you're not a masker and they're going to require you, just put it on your face. Shop and get out of there. Tear it off, okay? But don't make people miserable. I watched a guy do this on our road trip last spring in Yucca Valley, California. He was a big Marine type guy. I just, he just made the poor waitresses and the cooks just miserable. And I have names for those types of people that I can't share in church. There's no, there was no need to. There's no need for that poor person had to deal with him to be up all night, just damaged emotionally because of that type of intimidation. Let's not be that at City Harvest Church. How do we get through this, Pastor? One, get a biblical worldview. Got three things real quick. Biblical worldview. Figure out not what your one promise on the mirror in your bathroom says. Find out what the whole Bible says. The whole, the whole thing. The whole thing. The good and the bad. The good and the evil. The blessing, the trials, the tests, the fire, the victory. The whole Bible. Second, here we go. Harden up. You know, we're such a psychological generation. How you doing? Well, you know, it's just been, you know, I, I just don't know. I, just, I don't love myself, and you know. You know, I'm all, I have compassion towards those who suffer emotionally. I, I'm not here to unlegitimize that at all. I wrote a seminar on overcoming anxiety, depression, fear. I, I get it. I've been around mental illness and those types of things. But remember, I'm speaking for the boomers who are here today, that our parents went through World War II and the Depression. Our grandparents went through World War I. I was with Doug Githens here Tuesday night. He showed me a family picture where his great uncle was in the picture. His great uncle came to the Northwest on the Oregon Trail. My grandmother was born like 23 years after the American Civil War. My grandma was born in the 1800s. I mean, it's not too far away. People who gave up much, sacrificed much, came across and covered wagons, built farms, homesteaded, carried two or three jobs. I told someone the other day, I was at Panda Express, and they're offering full benefits and, and a great salary, 21 bucks an hour, just to be cooking their vegetables and a little chow mein. Okay, he'd be assistant, it was up to like 45,000, something like that. I was mentioning that to somebody. Well, you can't live on that. You know, Sue and I could go, bo go both work for Panda Express. Pete won't have to pay me any money in retirement. We wouldn't have to touch our 401k. That's good money. But we're so used to, I got to have this, I'm just going to stay and be this, and I'll just receive this from the government, and I have a bad mood, and I'm depressed. And, you know, we got, you know, this is how we got it. This is how you're going to get tough. You got to do tough things. And here's a tough thing you can do. Just kind of commit you're not going to talk about yourself for a month. Now you can talk about, hey, I went to the store the other day, and I've got this funny story. You can talk about that. But if you bleed inside, 
but hold the other up. Now, I'm not trying to in any way undermine or discredit maybe real pain you're going through. But if we're going to get through this, we got to suck it up a little bit. This is a new type of Christianity. This is Bible Christianity. Hard times, tests. People don't like you because you're a Christian Christianity. Persecution Christianity. Demons beating on your door Christianity. Beating demons up in faith Christianity. Well, Bible says we're in a war. And when you know we go to battle, every one of us is gonna walk out with a purple heart. Spiritually speaking, we can do this. And lastly, love intensely. Love on people, carry their burdens. Some of you just need to go hug a liberal. Come on. Kiss a grumpy person. Dig in. Dig in to love people. And I believe we'll make it. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we were going to have just a worship night, but we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to pray for the nations. We're going to pray for us personally. We're going to pray for God to touch us, refresh, pray over people. It'll be an hour and a half prayer meeting. It'll be interspersed with worship and prayer and intercession. And if you can come out, come join us tonight as we pray for this situation. Jesus, I know that you will help us, that you are with us. You are in our midst. You said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We hang our hat on that, Lord. And we thank you that it's true. You're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, and you're right here with us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.